Hi, this is Natalie Hoffman of FlyingFreeNow.com, and you're listening to the Flying Free Podcast, a support resource for women of faith looking for hope and healing from hidden emotional and spiritual abuse. Welcome to episode 41 of the Flying Free Podcast. Before we get started, I want to do a listener shout out to JJ Mom of Three, who recently left the following review. She said, When I finally realized I wanted out of a confusing and unhappy relationship, I went looking for self help books, podcasts, and so forth. I couldn't quite put what I was experiencing into words, and no one understood what I was talking about until I found Natalie and her website, book, and podcast. Breath of fresh air, light at the end of the tunnel, coming out of the fog, whatever you want to call it, this is the place for me. Truth and calling it what it is, abuse. Thank you so much, JJ Mom of Three, for taking the time to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I'm really grateful that the resources I've offered have been helpful for you. Rachel and I really enjoy reading about how this podcast has made a difference in so many people's lives. If you'd like to leave a rating and review, just go to Apple Podcasts and look up Flying Free. Today, I'm excited to introduce you to Andrew Bauman, author of the book Stumbling Toward Wholeness, A Brave Lament, which he co-authored with his wife, Christy, and The Psychology of Porn. Andrew is a licensed mental health counselor, and he and his wife run Collective Hope Counseling in Seattle, Washington. We're going to be talking about the intersection of pornography and domestic abuse. This podcast is sponsored by the Flying Free Education and Support Community, which offers a safe community, education tools, and coaching tools to help you find hope and healing from your abusive relationship. Let's get started. Andrew, thank you for being on the Flying Free Podcast. I'm so excited yes. to have you here. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for thanks for having me. I'm a fan of your work. Um, say, I am wondering if you could talk a little bit about, just introduce everyone to what it is that, what your soapbox is, basically. Yeah. And how you yeah, got yeah. there. For sure, for sure. Um, so I talk uh, kind of the same, you know, the same thing. I talk about... Um, grief and porn and kind of the healing journey, just the, the general idea of what it means to, to be healed. I'm a, an author and a therapist. Um, grief and porn, why those kind of are my main things. Um, first, uh, grief, I lost my son about seven years ago, and we created a documentary and a book called A Brave Lament. And that's where we just have learned to journey into our hearts and, and fully grieve our loss because we grieve to the level in which we love and we radically loved our son brave. Um, and so that really forced us into this grief work, which again, we would never choose. Uh, but it's similar to my journey with porn. I wouldn't choose um, this, but because of my own 13 year addiction to pornography and how it nearly killed me, um, I am now in a sense to have integrity now it's to continue to face my own shame and continue to face, um, the work that I work with countless amounts of men, um, in facing their own violence and facing their own pornography, um, their unwanted sexual behaviors. And so that's where I find myself every day kind of in those conversations and uh, journeying with uh, a bunch of men, how to become 
safe and better men. Okay. Well, and, and, you know, those two topics, grief and porn, those are hugely Mm -hmm. impacting topics on the women that I work with. Yes. Yes. They are in marriages where they're grieving so many things and some of them Mm -hmm. are getting out of marriages and grieving in a lot of different ways in layers of ways. And then many of them are dealing with porn addicted husbands or yes. ex-husbands. So yes. it's interesting because you, uh, you, you said that your, your original focus was on men. You wanted to help men with these things. And yet mm-hmm. we were talking a little bit before the show that you actually have found that your audience is largely now made up of women. Yeah. What I'm realizing is that, you know, I'm a bit of a unicorn as far as a, a man kind of speaking against male violence. You know, I know um, Dr. Jackson Katz does a lot of that that work, but I'm finding that men aren't super receptive to what I'm what I'm bringing, which is basically deal with your own broken sexuality, deal with your own propensity to violence. Um, like people, men don't really want to do that. And yet, obviously there are men. That's why I have a full practice. There are men who want to do that. And yet I'm finding that women, especially women who are in relationships with these types of men and the man that I used to be are really connecting to kind of what I'm writing and what I'm putting out there because I'm trying to write about the internal journey of uh, recovering narcissistic evangelical man, which is what I, what I was and at times still am. Do you find in your practice that the men who are coming to you and wanting help, are they making progress? I mean, are they? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's why I, I have it and I get in trouble with this, but I deeply believe in the goodness of men, which is, you know, gets me in trouble in some circles um, because I'm not ready to just throw them under the bus. But because I work with men in such a front lines way, um, I see the, the glory and the, the complete depravity of these men. But yes, um, the men are and are fighting in awe and learning what it means to love themselves and also learn to love and honor women in a new way, which is incredibly hopeful okay. for me. But and it's also not normal as well. No. Like I'm, I'm also, I'm very aware that that is not kind of the normal posture of, a, of men to deal with their own issues. No, it's not. Well, and then when you have an element of just deep-seated and ingrained denial on their mm. parts, then it's yep. very hard to get them even to say that they need help in the first place. So, oh, totally. totally. I know, and I, I, oh, go ahead. Uh, I, I say I kick men out of my practice all the time. Oh, um, do you just, really? Yeah, because it's just like, you're not ready. You're not ready for the work that I do. You're not like, you're, you're too much. And I just tell them you're full of yourself and you're not ready. You know, I just kind of <laughs> confront them and call it like it is. And, and, and confronting that violence head on, um, but I, again, it happens pretty often that I'm just like, you know, no, I'm not going to work with you because um, it does take this amount of humility. And normally it's after men have lost. It's normally after the wives have begun to get healthy and they have boundaries because many times the wives are much more courageous than the men. And they finally begin to have boundaries. They finally begin to honor themselves or they finally begin to, to leave. And then the men wake up and realize that they're losing everything. And then they're like, oh, I can't just, you know, run over my wife. She actually has a sense of self. She actually starts, she's, she's loving herself. She's honoring herself. 
and then the men wake up and then they begin to outgrow their addiction. They begin to outgrow their narcissism only after, um, you know, which sucks, but again, because the onus is still on the, the woman to, to do it. And yet I, I, I'm still hoping for men that, that they'll begin to rise up and not be uh, just little boys in grown men's bodies. That's beautiful. Okay. So do, when you are working with, I'm just so curious when you're working with these mm-hmm. guys and they're, let's say some of them are changing. Do you also like talk to the wives too, to find out yeah. if, if, it's on the, if it's changing on the other side and mm-hmm. not, not yeah, well, a lot of times we'll bring, behind closed doors, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. A lot of times we'll bring in the wives, um, uh, you know, pretty regularly bring, bring in the wives and do that work and do marriage work as well. We, you know, we do it all. My wife and I, um, we do a lot of couples work together as well. Okay. Yeah. So is your wife also a therapist then? Yes. Yes, she is. She Cause is. I know yep. I saw she has a book coming out too. And I was thinking she does. I need to get her on the podcast. Yeah. Oh, please do. Yeah. No, her book's coming out in like a month or so. And, uh, the theology, theology of the womb, knowing God through the body of a woman. And it's a beautiful, beautiful book. Um, yeah. So she's, she's a fireball. She's awesome. Uh, so she, great. yeah, she keeps me, keeps me going. I need to, I need to meet her. Yes. Um, okay. Well, let's get back into, let's go back to the whole yep. idea of porn. Cause that we are the topic of this, uh, podcast episode is the intersection of porn and domestic violence. Yes. So why don't you talk about how those two, two things go together? Why they yeah. go together? <clears throat> I feel like porn is so is so culturally ingrained we don't even know like we're saturated with uh, again our churches our government like everything has become pornified and sexualized um so i I think it's so it's so that way it's become so normal that we don't even see it right when you think of 70 percent of christian men you know using pornography um, I have a stat here, eight out of 10 between ages 18 and 30 view pornography, pornography at least monthly, right? 57% of pastors, 64% of youth pastors, like those statistics are wild, right? In the, in our churches. And so if 50, if nearly 60% of pastors are using pornography, how do you think they're going to unconsciously treat women? Exactly. Right? Like, how are they going to unconsciously, not even, they don't even realize they're doing it, but they're going to, you know, make sure they leave the door open or they're going to make sure they don't, they tell women to dress conservatively and don't show, they're going to blame the women because of their own unresolved shame that they are frauds, that they, that they have a secret life, right? And pastors are so isolated and a lot of times so narcissistic that they can't, they, they, they just, they can't, they don't get help. Right. And then they project onto the women. Right. So of course you're not going to see women preaching from the pulpit. Of course you're not going to see women on the board because I want women as far away from me because they remind me of my own shame. Get it away from me. I actually hate you. Right. And I want to devour you because I need you. No mm-hmm. wonder we run into problems then when we try to get help from these men for our husbands. Exactly. That's why the gaslighting is so crazy, right? And that's oh why, because gosh. you think these men are going to help you get out of this. And they're actually, and again, it's unconscious. I don't think these, these pastors aren't bad, bad guys. Yeah. They don't even, they're not even aware of the dynamic that's going on internally. 
because they're so unconnected to their own heart and to this own pornified society. But I think this this has impacted us so greatly. It's created this unconscious misogyny, right? What does misogyny mean? It's the dislike or contempt for. It's an ingrained prejudice against women. It's an ingrained prejudice that's deep in the pastors, that's deep in our, our church, our evangelical society, right? And we don't even, like, they don't even know it. And so this misogyny, like porn leads to this misogyny that creeps into our marriages, right? And so these men that I think probably a lot of the women that you are working with, this misogyny is so ingrained in us. I was, I, I knew that my mom was supposed to serve me as I watched football, right? Me and my wow. brother, like, like it was just ingrained in me that she is, she is meant to clean the kitchen or like these these really deep things that I grew up being entitled that somehow because I had a penis that I had more power in my own home than I, than I should have. Um, So, so that's where I think we have to realize how ingrained um, the patriarchy is, how ingrained um, the misogyny is and that porn has really seeped in um, to, to the men in our culture. What can we do as, well, I'm thinking of even being a mom. When you said that about mm-hmm. your mom being in the kitchen, I'm thinking, that's what I do. <laughs> so what, right. can I, what can we do to help mm-hmm. our boys not to think that way? Yeah. You, I mean, you have to do, in a sense, you have to go above and beyond because the, the culture, the church, so much of it screams sexism. Right? We, we raise little sexists unconsciously, right? And so you just have to, we just have to really be proactive in what does it mean to honor a woman? What does it mean to, you know, the, the more language, just be aware of our language, right? We have to be aware of our own internalized sexism. What do we still believe? Mm-hmm. You know, I remember I sent my, my son, he was like three, four at the time to a little bit more expensive school. And then two years, uh, you know, preschool, whatever, he's learning Spanish. And, you know, it's like tons of money for three days, you know, like a whole mortgage payment. And then I'm like, my, my daughter, uh, a couple years younger. So she grows up and it's time for her to go to preschool. And I would just, I had this thought, no, I don't think I want to send her to this school. And I was like, wait, what? And it was almost like this engaged, this, this internalized sexism that I'm more willing to send my son to this expensive school. But my daughter... She's going to be okay. Like, I don't, like, I realized there was something in me that I, that I projected on a little girl yeah. that I didn't project onto my boy. And it was just like, I still have sexism that's unconscious. Yeah. Are you willing to name that for you as a mom? Yeah. Um, then you can begin to engage differently. You can begin to engage your son's. Uh, in different conversations. Because I don't think it's a one-time conversation. It's a thousand little conversations. That's about how we treat, you know, about, yep, gender, about equality, all these things. We just have to be talking about it all the time. I feel, so I have kind of two separate families. I have these older kids. I had nine kids. So I have these older kids that are, um, you know, upper teens and up to 20, Mm -hmm. almost 26. And then I've got my youngest is seven. I have a seven-year-old, nine-year-old, 11-year-old. And Mm -hmm. I am raising my younger kids differently because I raised my older kids in the patriarchy. And my younger kids, so I'm remarried. One of the beautiful things about my husband um, is that he 
just naturally, he's so not sexist at all. He's the exact yeah. opposite of sexist. So mm-hmm. he's so naturally, you know, after we're done eating dinner, he will help clean up. Yeah. He doesn't help me make dinner, but that's because he can't cook. He was a bachelor yeah. his whole life. And sure, sure. Ate frozen thing. I don't know how he did that. That <laughs> sounds so gross to me, but um, but he cleans. He cleans the house, yeah. the laundry. He cleans the kitchen. And my little boys, my seven-year-old, nine-year-old boys, see this on a daily basis. Yep. So, so you're already very yep. different. Exactly. You're already teaching them just by the way you live. Yeah. Yeah. It's a beautiful right? thing. But I don't know. So if my husband wasn't like that or didn't take initiative with that. <clears throat> I think I would still fall into those roles and just do it. I mean, that's just my knee jerk. It's how I was raised. It's how I've spent my whole life. And it would be really hard for me to have to say to my husband, um, do you think that you could maybe wash the dishes so that, (laughs) you know, like, I don't think I could do that. For sure. Anyway. Yep. And I know for me, I mean, I still, again, it's like I can default to kind of laziness around the house. You know, or laziness yeah, well, with I'm the gonna kids. Be like, your yeah. wife. I'm going to be interviewing yeah. you someday, and I'm going to talk to her about she'll expose me. She'll, <laughs> she'll expose me pretty quick. It's much easier sure. to talk about than to live. That's for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I can. I know that is that is true. Okay. So, um, so we've talked about how how they come together. Porn mm-hmm. is well. Actually, let's. We haven't really covered that that much. How would you say that porn affects my audience? My women are dealing with emotional abuse mainly and spiritual yep. abuse. So mm-hmm. God, they're, they're saying their husbands or their <clears throat> are saying, well, God says this. So therefore Oof. you have to be this way. So that's mm-hmm. a very shaming thing because most of the women I work with are very devoted followers yes. of Christ. Right. They have strong and mighty faith. Okay. Yes. Right. These are warriors. And right. the last thing that they want to do is do anything that would shame their savior or would do anything yeah. that would, um, that would cause them not to be a stellar example of a good Christian yes. woman, you know? Right, right, right. And, and their husbands and their churches know this and they use that as leverage against them. So Ooh. how, when, when you were talking about the fact that so many pastors are using porn, <clears throat> like all these light bulbs are going off in my head and I'm thinking, I think I'm a super naive person. Yes. And maybe a lot of us Christian women are. Maybe we just assume. Well, we don't. What I found in in working with women is like a lot of women don't want to know the truth because the truth actually has really dire consequences. It does. it, It does. And so I would actually rather be naive and not feel the pain than know that my husband you know, is cheating on me regularly and masturbating to other women's breasts. Like, no thanks. Like, I don't, I don't want to know what he does at night when I go to bed because it hurts too bad. And that's where it cycles back into the grief of we have to have the courage to live in truth because God is truth. And the more we live in truth is the more we experience God. Like, that, that's it. Like, that's it. We have to live in truth. No matter if you're on the receiving end of these, you know, horrific betrayals, or if you're the man in the, you know, the perpetrator, like you have to live in truth. We have to enter fully into these, these truthful conversations for liberation to be possible. So, you know, I think our culture though says that pornography isn't that bad, but how would you, mm-hmm. how would you 
I mean, from a biblical standpoint, would you say that pornography is a, a form of adultery? <clears throat> I, I believe so. Yes, I believe so. Uh, whenever we make somebody an object, right? An object, an objectification. I believe we're stripping the image of God from their face because they're no longer, they no longer bear God's image. They're just an object for me to get off on, for me to use, right? And so, so much of pornography has taught us to make women as objects and no longer human, no longer, uh, you know, part of the Imago Dei, bearing the image of God. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they're just there for my consumption. They're just bodies. Mm-hmm. And that is where I feel like so much of, um, you know, the Christian faith of when you can just, when you can objectify someone into no longer being human, you can do whatever you want to them, yeah. right? That's where the violence comes in. That's where, you know, the manipulation, like you're no longer a person. You're no longer a person. You're just there to serve me. And my church says that for you to submit to me. My culture says that. You know, and so everything, in a sense, I think is against these women um, that's telling them the the exact opposite. So what would you, there's a couple of things to piggyback off of. I'm wondering if you can share some, maybe some things that a woman could look for so that she doesn't have her head in the sand. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. then also, and then secondly, what can she do about it? Yeah. Did find out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so the the main thing, which again is <clears throat> is difficult, but it's brokenness, and it's not just this 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 humble kind of this this oh I got caught and I'm so sad, but it's this brokenness that actually leads to life change, and it's actually I'm going to go seek help. It's not you looking up marriage therapists. It's not you working so hard and finding the right books to give him. It's him getting off of his lazy behind in seeking out help. It's him saying, I'm going to go, I'm going to pay whatever it takes. And I'm going to go fly out to Seattle and work with Andrew because whatever, right. Whoever you find to work with, like, I'm going to go do this to save my life. Do because I want to save come my out life. to you to, to you oh, have yeah, like a yeah. weekend retreat or how do you do that? Yeah. Yeah. I've got a lot of intensives. People fly in from all over. Um, and this, this week we're actually launching our new kind of a new business. We're going to be, be called, uh, the Christian counseling center for sexual health and trauma. Um, so you'll, you can find that, uh, this week we're launching that. And so, but yeah, people fly in from all over, but yeah, especially that want to, they get, end up, they get caught cheating with their wives. I mean, that's the, the norm, right. Or couples, my wife and I work with a lot of couples um, who are kind of at their last leg. Um, but yeah, basically it's initiative on his part to say, I'm, ready to be a different man and you're going to see it through my actions my words are no long like i'm not going to give you pretty words uh, i'm actually going to live it out and you're going to see and to me that's kind of the only thing is it's going to be in his actions it's going to be in how he lives it's going to be in the books he reads it's going to be in the therapist he pursues it's going to, like that's the stuff that really is going to show a life changed Is this content resonating with you? I've written a book for women of faith and destructive relationships called Is It Me? Making Sense of Your Confusing Marriage, 
A Christian Woman's Guide to Hidden Emotional and Spiritual Abuse. You can actually read reviews and find out more about my book on Amazon.com. It comes in paperback, Kindle, and Audible formats. I've also got a website specifically focused on helping women of faith find hope and healing. It's called flyingfreenow.com. I'll even give you the first three chapters of my book free if you want to hop on my mailing list at the top of my website. Those three chapters are going to help you figure out if your relationship is normal or destructive. Now, let's get back to our episode. I'm, I'm wondering, though, I think you maybe thought my question was the signs of his repentance, but I'm actually wondering, that, that was great, that was all really, really good stuff, okay? I'm actually okay. wondering, what are, if a woman is like me and totally naive yeah. and doesn't, like, I don't want to know, just... Yeah, okay, gotcha, gotcha, what, gotcha. Now let's say that she's listening and she's going, yeah. oh boy, I wonder why my husband does stay up late at night. I wonder if, like, what can she, yeah. are there signs that she can... Gotcha. Some of the signs that someone is actually yeah. doing that. Yeah, that's a different answer than the one I get. Uh, <laughs> um, I would say, yeah, I would say, um, like, back to the kind of living in truth, like, be straight up, you know, just literally, like, face it head on. And if he's so just being. Come out and ask him? I would, yeah. Well, they I mean, say, but they'll just say no. I, I, I did. I asked my ex, and he was like, Right. No, I have not used pornography. <laughs> sure, which is probably a bunch of bull, right? Like, again, all I'm saying is you don't need to live hidden because he's living hidden. Your job is to be the most authentic, right? And, and I would say engage your, say, hey, babe, I'm actually really concerned. Um, you know, I heard these statistics today on this great podcast that 70% of men are using pornography, 70%. And I want to talk about it with you. What's your story of pornography? What's your story of sexual development? We've never really talked about that. I'm really, I'm, I'm scared. And he could be full of it. He could, but you're leading with vulnerability and courage. You're leading with your own fear. You're saying, hey, I want to talk about this more fully because it's an epidemic. How are we talking to our kids about, because here's the deal. We're not going to talk to our sons about it right? Or as fathers, if we're using, right, right, we're, we're going to be so ashamed of it. We're going to be so hidden. We're not preparing our kids how to engage pornography. Talk about sexuality in a healthy way without shame. How, so how do you engage your kids about mm-hmm. pornography? I'm sure my, yeah. my, 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 their dad's not doing that. I know that for sure. So, yeah. so and it is something that I, I want to talk about with them. Yeah. I mean, you know, exposure now is around eight years old, you know, uh, like it's crazy how, uh, now with everybody with phones in their pockets, younger and younger kids are getting exposed to hardcore pornography all the time. And so my, what I encourage people to do is you're, you're talking about it all the time and not just pornography, but, but I start with bodies, right? So we're just, we're talking about our bodies. We're normalizing our bodies. So my son is two and he just, he's, starts touching his penis everywhere. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we're in the grocery store and he's just masturbating in the grocery store. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. So first I feel shame. First I feel, you know, terror. I'm looking around and then I'm like, okay, I don't want to shame. I don't want to shame my son, but how do I engage him? You know, he's only two. And so I, you know, at this moment I handled it well, but I looked at him and I said, Hey buddy, do you see anyone else touching their penis in the grocery store? And he looks around. He says, no daddy. And I said, okay, well, that's something that we do, you know, at home in our bedroom, 
or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And so in that moment, we're talking about penis, we're talking about his body, we're talking about how to use his body appropriately, right? Without the shame. Oh my gosh, don't you do that. Your body's bad. Because then it just goes underground, right? Then it just goes hidden. And I don't want to create that hiddenness. That was that what that is what it was for my story that I just went underground with my shame and my sexuality. So I first want to normalize sexuality. And, and, you know, we talk about our bodies. We talk about it with our daughter, vagina. We t- we're, we're open about our bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that leads us to these conversations. Again, it's not just one birds and the bees talk, but it's hundreds of talks about our bodies, about how, what's appropriate. But, you know, how do we use our bodies? Um, there's a great resource called Good Pictures, Bad Pictures and Good Pictures, Bad Pictures Junior. And that's a great talk for younger kids, a great book for younger kids, um, you know, to talk about pornography. And, you know, there's good pictures and there's bad pictures, but it doesn't make you bad. Um, but there are appropriate pictures to look at. So those are just a few things off the top of my head. Okay. And we'll put a link. I'll, I'll find that and put a link to that. Is that mm-hmm. something they can get on Amazon? Or? Yep. Yeah, totally. Okay. Mm-hmm. So let's say that their husband did say, yeah, I do struggle with that sometimes. And there's a lot of women listening to this that already know their husbands use it. Yep. Um, if their husband isn't, I, I mean, the story that I hear from a lot of women is just that, well, yeah, my husband's, it's kind of like the emotional abuse thing. My husband says he's going to stop and he makes an effort for a while and then he goes back to doing it. And it's just kind of this cycle that keeps going around and around and around. What else can a woman do? There's really not much that she can do. I mean, it's not her body. It's not her choice. Right. But But she, but but again, if she, if she has a poor relationship with herself, she's not going to require much. Okay. She's not going to require much. She's not going to require fidelity. Right. She's not going to require like, no, like we need help. Like we need to do something about this. I'm not okay with this. I'm not okay with you um, being with other women. Right. Um, you know, like I, I actually love myself enough to require more. And so it really pushes back to what is your relationship with yourself? What is, you know, how have you come into relationship with yourself? Do you, because anytime I work with women who are, have a history of DV, we, we first start with their relationship with themselves. Because normally, like, what we hate is what we, what we require of others. In that sense of, like, if I hate myself, I'm going to bring that. Like, I'm going to require that of others to hate me as well, right? Our self-contempt draws more contempt. That you is, know, if I had, that's profound. There's a lot of women listening that are going, to, that's going to be a huge light bulb for them. Good. Huge. Yeah. Yep. And if I have a healthy relationship with myself, if I love myself, then I'm going to be in relationship. I'm going to require that from my partner. Yeah. But see, we've been brainwashed. Most of us have been brainwashed with the idea that you can't to love yourself. It even, I mean, I even, when I hear that, I know I, I mm-hmm. talk about that all the time now, but what comes up to, in my mind is everything that I was brainwashed with, that that is selfish, that that is not yep. Christ-like, that's not biblical, that's a bunch of psychological mumbo-jumbo, right. and yet that yep. has been the key to my healing, really. Yep, Has been exactly. turning and taking care, seeing myself as just as, because I see other people as valuable, but I yep. don't see myself as valuable. Totally, and, and that's where we've confused in the Christian world, and I write a lot about this, um, you know, in my book, Stumbling Towards Wholeness. But like, we've confused humility with self-hatred. 
somehow we think that hating ourselves is humility and it's the opposite. I think self-hatred is actually quite prideful um, because we make it all about ourselves, right? We make it all about ourselves, but uh, yes, but like humility is not self-hatred. It's actually knowing my depravity and knowing my glory equally. I am a good, good man, but I also know that I'm capable of great darkness. And I've done a lot of great darkness in my past. Like I've done a lot of horrible things and that's in me. And yet I'm a good man and I can hold both. That's going to make me not too prideful and it's going to make me not too self-contemptuous. Right. And when you know that bringing the, bringing the God factor into it, when you know that you're safe in Christ and that he loves you with unconditional, never failing love, then you are more free to get your eyes off of yourself mm-hmm. and off of yes. your shame and yes. look at other people and not be afraid of failing, exactly. or making mistakes or saying something wrong or, you know, just being terrified in, in yes. interactions with people. Cause you're free to love them. And even exactly. if they reject you, you haven't lost anything because you went into it offering love. Yes, exactly. Well said. Yep. And a few other, I think, points for, for women who maybe find themselves either in relationship with a man who might be using porn or, you know, just kind of questioning it. One, I want, like, trust your gut. I feel like women have such an adverse relationship to their bodies, right, because of whatever stories and culture. But, mm-hmm. like, your body is good. Trust your gut. Trust mm-hmm. your God lives in your body. Jesus Christ is right. in you. Um, like trust your gut, right? If you feel betrayed, it's probably because you have been, right? Yeah. If you feel like he's being secretive, it's probably because he is, because he's hiding something. Like trust your gut. Um, it doesn't mean you need to go, you know, confront him and accuse him, but like talk about your fears, talk about what's going on for you. Yeah. Um, you know, trust your gut. And then the second part is like, it's also not your fault if he is using. So many women, you know, turn on themselves and that's back to the self-contempt piece that somehow in the church can reaffirm this a lot of times. I've heard it over and over again. Well, just be more sexual. Well, just yeah. give him, give him more sex. Give do what he wants sexually. Arrgh, wrong. It's not your fault that he has no integrity. It's not your fault that he's a sex addict. Um, it's something's not wrong with your body because he likes airbrushed women with fake breasts. That's not your body. It's not your fault. It's his brain damage that's the problem right well and and from your perspective coming out of that if your Mm -hmm. wife had been you know had gone overboard and trying to be more attractive or whatever in the ways that you were seeing on Mm -hmm. t on on a computer screen would that have Mm -hmm. made a difference anyways would that have made you go oh yeah now i don't need the porn anymore it's never it's never enough yeah it's never enough right that's the thing about sexual addiction. It never suffices. I'm always want more, right? I always want more there. I always need something kinkier, something darker, something, right? And it gets darker and darker and dark. like it's never enough. So no, it does not matter if you scratch that itch right now, I'm going to have a new one tomorrow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Was there um, anything else yeah. you wanted that you had for women? Um, yeah, I'm just thinking like, you know, I, I made this point before, but like his integrity is not up to you. 
you know, the term differentiation, right. Where it's like you actually separate from him. Um, you know, you don't need to be intertwined with him as far as if he has a lack of integrity, like that's on him. That's between him and his relationship with God. Like and that, a healthy that's actually, you. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah. No, uh, yeah. Just a healthy you is actually what's most important, right. Yeah. To having a healthy relationship. And I think, I think that in, in Christian circles, though, we've been taught that when you're married, you are, that the idea of one flesh means that you are enmeshed. Right. You know, yeah, that co- you it becomes bear one another's responsibilities right. and he's yeah. responsible for your sin and you're responsible for his. And, and yep. it's so, so unhealthy. It's so twisted. Right? Yeah. And it's not, it's not what marriage covenant means. Right. It's actually, you know, the healthiest relationships that I see is not when two kind of half wounded people get together and try to make each other whole. Like those right. are actually really toxic relationships. The healthiest relationships are when I know who I am and you know who you are. And then we come together and, you know, it's messy still, but we make concessions, we barter, we, you know, we, and we, we live into our fullness um, with each other. That's very different than just kind of two broken people trying to fix each other. Right. Okay. We, we're going to wrap this up, but I want you to tell us what is, what is something that you're, when you look ahead to 2020, what is something mm-hmm. that you're looking forward to? Or what is one of the, well, it sounds like you, you shared a little bit about a big project. You've got a launch coming. Yeah. 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 I think it's been this, this week. Yeah. So basically as you know, kind of the books have gotten out and um, we've kind of gotten a little bit more popularity. We decided that we needed, you know, our counseling practice, we needed to expand it. Um, so we're trying to basically grow um, our practice in a way that we do more just intensives and we do more group work because we're finding a lot of energy in that and kind of slowing down on the individual sessions. And so, um, you know, you can find it in the next week at um, www.christiancc.org. And it's going to be called the Christian Counseling Center for Sexual Health and Trauma. And basically focusing on sexual health and trauma work is kind of the, our main, you know, main focus uh, and we'll be doing intensives, marriage intensives, uh, both in Seattle and North Carolina. So we're trying to expand. Uh, we'll, we're going to be trying to be in North Carolina in the summers, which is my home and what I, I just miss it so much. So we're trying to going to do kind of both um, North Carolina in the summers and then Seattle during the year. And so we're going to be doing these intensives and group work mostly um, and grow that part of our business um, is kind of the, and then continuing to sell our products. You know, we have a film, we have, um, you know, quite a few books now out. So. I am actually going to Seattle tomorrow. No way. Coincidentally. I've never been there before. My my husband's best friend lives out there and we've been planning a trip for two. We've been wanting to go out there for two years, but we're just going for the weekend. And I heard it's going to be raining the whole time. Oh, geez. I, I know. Yeah, I'm I, so I, bummed because there's some I, beautiful I, things to see there. Oh, it's so beautiful. Yeah, my best friend's actually flying in from North Carolina tomorrow. And then we have uh, our 10-year wedding anniversary on Friday. So we're going to be hanging out. And But yes, it's probably going to be freezing and rainy. But oh, that's awesome that you're coming out. Yeah. Um, okay, well, that's just funny that you're from there. Um you know what, too? I forgot one of one of the questions I wanted to ask you, and then we we're going to wrap up. I wanted to ask about 
what you do with a woman or a couple when they come in and the husband just doesn't seem to be making progress. Do mm-hmm. you, do you um, support a woman if she decides that she just needs to get out of that marriage then and needs to be free? How do you oh, yeah. handle this? Oh yeah. 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 I definitely, I definitely uh, encourage, I normally take the first step of a, a legal separation, right? Of kind of let's, let's get set, let's separate. Let's, you know, let's see if he does his work. Let's see if he addresses his issues. But if that doesn't happen, then yes, you have to do what you need to do um, to survive and to be healthy and to ha- be happy. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, again, work with a lot of kind of narcissistic men and um, I kind of get a sick pleasure in confronting them. Um, and so I take that on. <laughs> I take that on uh, pretty regularly and it normally doesn't go too well, you know, Yeah. Um, as far as they don't really like it because people don't really take on narcissists and it's, you know, because there's blowback. Right. And so there's been a few times that I thought I might get murdered, um, but it hasn't happened yet, but like there's the deep violence that has to be taken on um, that has to be confronted head on, um, you know, and that's kind of what I, what I do. And it, it, again, it doesn't, both people have to be willing you know, a lot of times I see the women willing to work on it and I encourage them to do their work and to dive in. And yet a lot of times I encourage it to do it solo if the man's not willing to do it. But sometimes the man will get roped in and they'll fly out here and, you know, I mean, we try to do some screening and we might end up doing more of it, but sometimes it doesn't go too well because they're not willing to look at their own right. issues. Right. You the know? interesting thing about narcissistic types of people is that they're so predictable and so you can actually have a lot of fun with them. I mean, if you, when you said, yeah, I loved it when you, I, what was the word you used? Did you say sadistic pleasure? Oh, sick pleasure. Or sick yeah. pleasure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can't. So sometimes I've interacted with some of these people on Facebook and I just, right. sometimes I just can't help myself. It's so much fun yeah. to know exactly what, yes. what to say to get the, you know, exactly what they're going to say. If you say this, you know exactly what they're going to say. And sometimes totally. it's kind of fun to, it is fun to that, I don't it recommend it to my listeners. Please don't do that. It's not. Yeah. It's not no, you have to be in a different place. Right. And I have a privilege as a man, right. Where even when we do couples counseling, my wife's engaging in the, you know real time. Um, they respond to me very differently than they respond to her. Right. Like I have a certain weight because I'm, you know, more of a whatever powerful man that I can speak these really intense things to them in a way that they would just dismiss my wife. You know. Yeah, which is really sad, and also yep. just an illustration of just the their hatred of the feminine. Yeah, yeah. Well, this has been a wonderful podcast, and I really appreciate your time, Andrew. And we'll have to have you You're back. Welcome. And I want to, I want to interview your wife too sometime. Yeah, especially please do. When she's comes out. Yeah, she's setting up interviews now, so uh, I can give you her contact information. Okay, she's setting up for the book launch. So that perfect. sounds great. All right. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me. Yep. Yep. And have a wonderful weekend. Have a great 10th anniversary. All right. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.